Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. Please follow along as I read. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This is the word of God. How many of you noticed that uh, we had an election this past week? Did you notice that? How many of you uh, think that this has been like the craziest political season that you can remember? Yeah, I, I certainly is true, uh, is true for me. Uh, as we come now, remember I promised you last Sunday that the world would not end in this next week, right? That we'd be okay, right? So we're all here. And uh, now some of us following the election, you know, some of us are very, in, uh, we're always throughout the course of very enthusiastic about the presidential candidates, one or the other of them that we thought provide wise and capable leadership for our country during the next four years. And others of us were embarrassed by the candidates, believing that they were forced to, you know, choose between a scoundrel and a criminal. They just didn't know what to do. And so there you go. You had this, can this election that was very different than any other election you ever had. And then after Tuesday, some of us are ecstatic by the results, and others of us are dismayed by the results. And so there's lots of uncertainty in our country, even right now. All of us, no doubt, are very curious about what's going to happen next. Would you agree with that? We're curious about what's going to happen. What will happen next? What will the next several years be like? We don't know. It's an uncertain time, a time of transition. 
In a lot of ways, our circumstance is not unlike the circumstance of Isaiah when he wrote the words which Richard read for you earlier. The book, Isaiah is the book that we're studying at this point in our Daily Bread Project, in our year-long trek through the Bible. And, uh, and so we're in the middle of this massive book which is written during the course of a 40 or 50 year period of time. And in this book, in the sixth chapter, we find out that they were just like we are in a time of political transition, a time of national uncertainty. And it was in the midst of this uncertainty, these uncertain days, that God revealed himself in a special and a profound way to the prophet Isaiah. Did you notice what it said at the very beginning of this chapter? You probably didn't, but here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So Isaiah sets this in the context of the death of a king who had a 52-year reign. He says, God spoke to me at the end of that time, but you know good and well, there was some uncertainty. What's going to happen next? And this is a story that has to do with not only the kings of this world, but also the king, the king over the whole world. So let's take a look at this famous story. I know you guys always think, and you want, some of you want me to talk politics. I, I promised you I never really would. So just leave that dangling there. I just don't, I just don't, I don't want to do that in church time, okay? But in any case, I do want to teach the Scriptures. And so we see in this setting, we see four things about the king that Isaiah learned that we see that will help us as well. And I hope that it will give to us encouragement and hope in our own uncertainties about what the future might hold, whether we're talking about internationally, nationally, community-wise, in our families, and even in our own personal lives, we often find ourselves in the midst of a lot of questions, a lot of transition, a lot of uncertainty. So I want you to see four things about the king in this passage. First, the superiority of the king. Second, the holiness of the king. Third, the cleansing of the king. And finally, the call of the king. First of all, the superiority of the king and by the alternative, our shallow kingdoms. Notice what happens here in the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Here's what's happening. This Isaiah sets this in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, we don't know who that is, but I'm going to tell you who that is. Uzziah, as I said already, was a very successful, in fact, perhaps the, one of the most successful kings after David and Solomon. He, because of a death, was made king at the age of 16 years old. And he reigned for 52 years. And the story of his reign is told for us in Second Chronicles chapter 26, if you want to make a note of that for your own reading uh, a, little bit, a little bit later. And here we see that for the most part, Uzziah was a good and godly king. It was a time of, of national prosperity and, and, and good things happening in, in, the, in the kingdom. Listen to some of the words that are said about Uzziah. 
And all the, this is in 2 Chronicles 26. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. They had national security. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabin and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities, and it was a time of expansion and of prosperity. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. This was, uh, uh, he had, this was a good and godly king. But later in his life, the Bible tells us that his prideful attitude led to a very, very sad demise. Because here's what happened later on. It says later on, um, uh, it said army and soldiers, etc. Verse, verse 16 of that 26th chapter, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, Isaiah's vision occurs in the temple of the Lord. This happens in the year that King Uzziah died. But Uzziah's fateful mistake happened in the temple of the Lord. He was the king. And he thought that that gave to him special privileges that he could skirt around the laws of holiness and, that were in, in, the, in, in the land. So here's what he did. He went into the, entered the temple of the Lord to burn altar incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord, and they withstood King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who consecrated him to burn incense. Go to the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor. He thought that his political leadership gave to him the opportunity to exercise spiritual prerogatives. He thought he should combine those things. That's, that, that mix never goes well, does it? That was the place for the priests. That was the place for the holy. They were called to be witnesses to the kingdom, to, to speak the truth of God to the king about the kingdom. That's always been the place of the church, even today. Not to be aligned necessarily, but to speak the truth. And Uzziah had wanted to co-opt that for himself. He thought, well, I'm the most powerful man of the land. Obviously, I can burn incense just like the priests. They answer to me, don't they? The priest said, no, you don't. No, you don't. Eighty of them came and they tried to hold, tried to hold, him, uh, hold him back. Um, and then what it says, uh, they said, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. I mean, who, how dare you? Don't you know that I'm the king? It happens on both sides of the equation, by the way. It's not just political leaders that try to exercise spiritual prerogatives. It's also spiritual leaders that try to control political prerogatives as well. They're always meant to be, we're called to witness in the midst of that. So they had come, they said, no, that's not the case. So he had a censer in his hand to burn the incense. And when he became, this is verse 19, when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar 
altar of incense. It's a graphic description. He's holding it. Don't you dare tell me what to do. And he's holding the, the censer in order to burn the incense. And as he's doing that, his hand begins to turn white. And it comes off even unto, uh, unto his forehead. Uh, and it, and it, it says, in the presence of the priests, in the house of the Lord, by the altar of incense. He who thought he was going to exercise the spiritual prerogatives was himself then burned, so to speak, by the very incense he was seeking to offer to God. He was trying to do what we might call a good thing. He just wasn't the guy to do it. And Azariah and the chief, verse 20, all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in the forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because Yahweh had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was, king, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Here's Uzziah, a good and godly king who got a little too much power that went to his head. He began to exercise, his pride got the best of him, and he then became exiled from his own community and died in shame. And this encounter happened in the temple. Now, the next time you read Isaiah 6, remember that, because you know Isaiah, you know Isaiah did. You know that Isaiah's people did. They all knew the story of what had happened to their king some years before, and it was in the year that King Uzziah died. This king had been so great and died in such disgrace because of having tried to enter the presence of God unworthily and without God's direction. This king had now died, and now Isaiah says, you know, when that king died, I went into the temple. <laughs> and so now you have a feeling why Isaiah was so much shaking in his boots at the revelation of God. He knew what had happened to his king before him. Yes, you remember, you see, this is when Isaiah went into the temple of Jerusalem, and while he was there, he saw the worldwide temple of God. He, he went into the temple and saw the ultimate throne root of God, because the temple is the throne room of God. And so he went in there, and his eyes were opened to the reality behind the building, the God who is really in control of all of this universe, the God who can flick countries out like he wants. He can take kings and give them leprosy just like that. This God who is much more powerful than any kingdom ever has been, ever will be, he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and we tend to forget that, right? We who have kings we who are kings, we who have responsibility, we who owe responsibility, forget that all of this comes underneath the overall reign and king of the universe. Inside that vision, he saw the worldwide temple of God, the worldwide holiness of God, the rulership of God. It was awesome, terrifying, awe-inspiring, frightening, and it almost, it shook him to his boots. It shook the foundations of that physical temple to the boots, to their boots, because this God was bigger, more massive than anything that he could have imagined. And so we need to remember, I know this is hard for you to believe, God is a lot bigger than our party politics. God is a lot bigger than our government. 
God is a lot bigger than any kingdom anywhere in any world at any time. God is the one who is over all of this. That's not to say that we don't have responsibilities, that we ought to vote, we ought to be involved in our, but we should never forget that this is not the biggest picture. You, you, and, and, oh, how to, do you realize when you gather, sorry, I'm, I don't know how to paint this picture for you. When we gather in this place, and we say, in his hands he holds the stars. You're not just singing a little tune. In his hands he bears the scars. You are talking about the ultimate reality of the universe. If your favorite elected official came here this day to meet with us, that's nothing compared to what happens to you every day when you come here to meet with God. See, Isaiah had gone to the temple, and he just was probably doing his normal service inside the temple. But once he got there, he saw the real truth of how things really were, and it changed his life. It changed his life. And so when we gather and all the things we go to, like, you know, for me this morning, this was one of those days when everything kind of went wrong in the morning. You ever have one? The preachers are not supposed to say this out loud. You're supposed to think everything's just perfect for the preacher, Right? Well, you know, the preacher's human too. And sometimes things just don't go right in my morning. And so there were things I was frazzled when I came in. And it's easy for me to be kind of distracted and to forget, wait a minute. Look where we are. Look what we're gathering for. Look who's king. Look who's in charge. Look what he's done for us. In his hands, he holds the stars. And in his hands, he bears the scars. He's got the whole world in his hands. And he's got my little life in his hands. He's got our life in his hands. And we must never forget the superiority of this king over any king that's ever existed. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. You know, governments rise and governments fall. Life goes in a lot of ways, but over all of it, there is a God who is king over all the earth. And Isaiah saw that in the midst of his likely uncertainty about the passing away of a king who had been a really good king and uncertainty about what happened. So we see, first of all, the superiority of the king and our shallow king. As remember, no matter how you feel about what's going on, you may be ecstatic, you may be uncertain, you may have lots of, and you know what, the truth, well, uh, don't, I like, some of you say to me, just let me, I, I want everybody to feel welcome at our church, right? You know, so I always hope that in our church, we have people of, people of differing parties, different persuasions. I, that's all good to me. I think we learn from all that. I, so I don't know how you feel about things, but I do hope you know how you feel about the thing. The thing, the kingdom of God, who is going to do what he's going to do and who's going to work through his people, the king of the universe is still in charge. Number two, the holiness of the king and our certain doom. <laughs> the holiness of the king and our certain doom. Remember, Isaiah had to have remembered when, when uh, Uzziah, the king had ended up in the presence of the holy temple and he didn't belong there. And as soon as the Lord showed up, Isaiah realized, I don't belong here. Uh, this is way, way bigger than me. The holiness of the king. He speaks here about the, the seraphs, the seraphs. And that means the 
burning, the burning ones. They look like flames surrounding the throne of the Holy One. And fire is a symbol of the, of the holiness of God. Ever gotten too close to a fire? Oh, that's what was going on. Remember, often God shows up as a, as a burning bush as, uh, and in burning, burning uh, aspects. And so we see the, they're, they're, their wings are there, and they're, they're, like, they're like fire, burning fires together. And their eyes are covered, it says. They should not pry into the divine. And their ears are open so that they can wait upon the king. And they're flying, so there's continuous action. And they uh, cover their feet as well so they can carry out the king's message. And they sing this song, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And that's a three-time repetition. It means ultimate holiness, super holiness, a super superlative. If you wanted to say something was very holy, you would say holy, holy. There's only one time in the Bible that we have the phrase repeated three times, any phrase repeated three times, and it's found here. He is not just super holy. He is super duper holy. He's just the super duperest, super califragilistic, holiest one. He's the, he's the big dude, you know. This is way more. That's what they're saying. His unapproached, it speaks to his, his brightness, his unapproachability, his separated Ness. The fact that he's utterly different than us. And it speaks to his unapproachable and unique moral majesty before which we instinctively quake. The whole earth, it says, is full of his glory. You see, wherever we see something that is glorious, it's a picture or a reflection of his glory. Yeah. When you see a beautiful sunset, a beautiful painting, hear a beautiful song, see a beautiful act of love, see a beautiful face, it's all a reflection of the ultimate glory. He's the king of all glory, the king of beauty. Um, the whole earth is full of his glory. And notice how Isaiah responds to God's holiness. It's like, oh my goodness, Woe is me, he says, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, he, it's like if you ever stepped from a dark place into a bright place, or your wife turned the light on in the bedroom, and you were, you, you, all of a sudden it's too bright. It burns your eyes, doesn't it? No. Yes, it does. And, and that's what he says. It's burning our eyes. It's so bright. The whole earth shakes in the presence of God's majesty. Smoke fills the room, choking Isaiah, shutting him out from the Holy One. I'm ruined, he says. I'm, I'm falling apart, literally. That's what it means. I'm becoming unraveled. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like opening up the ark and the raiders of the lost ark. Remember that? And he says, don't look. Because when the ark was opened up, it was, it was the brightness consumed everything around it because they were just creatures, and this was meant to be the presence of God. He says, I am undone, for I have seen the king. He means the true king, the king over which all others are merely shabby copies. Maybe if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, and I hope you have. You ought to have, and you should if you haven't. But in the last book called The Final Battle, there's this, uh, these are, there's this fake king. Aslan, of course, is the true king over the world in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a children's story with a lot of meaning. Um, 
Aslan is the true king, and, uh, uh, but Aslan's been gone, and now, for various reasons, there's a donkey who's got the skin of, an, of a lion over the top of him that a gorilla is pretending he's the king. I know it makes no sense, but you have to read the book, and it makes a lot of sense. No one's ever seen him, and this donkey doesn't really know any better. And, and so he, this gorilla is duping the people into thinking that this is Aslan, this donkey. And no one really knows what it looks like until finally Aslan does show up, and it is clear who the true king is. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. That means the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies this is a massive picture. You and I have no idea of the utter majesty and otherness, otherness of God. It is utterly ludicrous for us to imagine that we could survive His presence. Think about it. If the Christian story is true, as I believe it is, and I hope you do as well, this God is the, the first cause of this whole universe. He's the source of all energy. It all comes out of him. This God is massively powerful, and he's personally present with Isaiah that day in an, in an image. And this, he's the true king. Uh, this, he is so uh, glorious that Isaiah is falling apart. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. The story goes on to speak about the cleansing of the king. Verses 6 and 7, then one of the seraphs flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, remembering the story of Uzziah, the king, he had taken the censers to take the tongs. He was going to do that himself, right? But what's going on here? The opposite. God is sending his seraph who's bringing one of these uh, coals from the altar, and it comes, and God brings the cleansing that only God can do. And there you have the gospel in a small form. The gospel is not about what you do to try to bring God to you. It's what God has done to bring forgiveness and hope to you in the midst of your own creatureliness. He reaches out and cleanses us. Yahweh had revealed himself in his glory, but now he initiates Isaiah's rescue. So we see the cleansing of the king as our third main point, and our glorious rescue, our glorious welcome. The consuming fire now becomes a cleansing agent. It becomes a means by which Isaiah's sin has become atoned for. This was the fire from the altar. And on the day of atonement every year, uh, Moses and the, excuse me, Aaron and the other priests would take a, a burning coal from the altar and would take it to the mercy seat on the day of atonement to represent the sins of all the people, and God would receive that sacrifice there. Now what's going on is God himself is meeting the sinfulness of Isaiah in this passage, and he brings clean to he brings cleanliness to unclean lips. His lips were touched and cleaned, and he was, his sin was, it says, atoned for. That means covered, covered up. And it's like if someone says to you, uh, don't, uh, you, 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 go to, you go to golf together, and, and you go to pay, you get there a little bit late, and, and you start to pay your bill, and, and the person says to you, I already covered it. What do they mean? I already paid the debt, Right? 
that ever happen to you sometimes? Yeah, I covered it. That's what, that, that's what the word of atonement, I paid the debt. He had covered, the, I paid your bill. How did God cover the debt ultimately? And there we see it in the, uh, uh, the altar of incense, but ultimately the Bible teaches us that it was God himself who came to be one of us, who himself died as our sacrifice of atonement, and he covered our debt. He paid our bill. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could have the blessing of relationship with him. So God, uh, God's holiness had excluded Isaiah from his presence, but now because of the cleansing, Isaiah has been brought into the presence of God. And so we see then finally, fourthly and finally, the call of the king and our glad response. The call of the king and God and our glad response. Thanks to God and his cleansing, Isaiah has been brought back into relationship with Yahweh. There is reconciliation. And now he's brought, so to speak, into the cabinet, into the inner circle. He's there with the seraphs. He's inside the, the holy place with the Lord. And, and he hears that this God has a mission, has an agenda. There is, there is something that needs to be done. And he hears the king musing and say, who's going to go for us? Whom can I send? Who will go? He discovers that the king has a mission and the holiness which had shut him out has now welcomed him back. The holiness which had shut his mouth. Woe is me. I am undone. I have midst of an unclean lips. The holiness which had shut his mouth. Now the cleansing opens his mouth and he says, here I am. Send me. Why? Because he was such a great guy. No, because he had been brought in by the mercy and grace of this holy God. He had been brought into the presence of God, and this God had a job to do. And he says, if I can help, let me do it. I will do it. He's been brought in so that he can be sent out. If you remember that we're the called, gathered, sent community, it's always in the Bible that way. So he said, here am I. Send me. What a privilege it was for Isaiah not only to be included, but also to share in the mission of God. Not only to make the team, so to speak, but to be given to be a chance to be part of the starting lineup. I mean, it's cool to make the team, right, Kevin? It's cool to get on the team. It's cool to wear the uniform. But if you got the uniform and you're on the team, you want to get in the game, right? It's no fun to sit on the sidelines, cheer for the team. He says, I got a job. Anybody want to get in? Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. And he says, I'll do it. And the Lord says, yes, I'll use you, but I want you to know this is going to be a tough task. This is going to be a hard job. I'm going to send you on a mission to speak my word, and I'm going to warn you in advance, no one's going to pay attention. <laughs> in fact, your words will then become a means by which they are condemned because they will know the truth, but they won't respond. Are you ready for it? Well, we don't have Isaiah's answer in the text, but we have his answer in his life. We have this beautiful 66 chapter book. We have this beautiful story of Isaiah pleading and speaking on behalf of God to try to help them to stop their insanity and to see the true king of the earth. 
They were so caught up in their political alliances as this book goes on that they began to overlook the God who was in charge. When they were having difficulty, they thought, hey, maybe if we make an alliance with, with Egypt, that will help. The Lord says, no, that's not the thing to do. Trust me, I've got a plan. They needed to listen, but Isaiah told them the truth, and, and they never responded as they should. So it was a difficult task, and yet there is hope even in the midst of it. And I close with this little bit. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Basically, the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you a message that people are not going to listen, and judgment will come, and a tenth of the people will, will survive, perhaps, and in that stump, new life will emerge. Yeah, the stump of David, the root of Jesse, the Messiah who was born 700 years later after this. God brought together the story of reconciliation through even the judgment which had occurred. So we see here in this story that Isaiah had experienced a vision of God which utterly changed his life. And it was a vision of God's majesty which helped him to see that all the things that attract his attention in this world are not nearly so big as they thought. It was also a vision of God's holiness to help him to see that no matter how good he thought he was, he still was never going to measure up to the holiness of God. It was a vision of God's cleansing, God's forgiveness, that realized that what he had thought was his responsibility to make himself right with God had become God's responsibility to cleanse him on his own and utterly changed his life. And then it was a vision of God's ultimate mission that God would be faithful to his promise to his people and that someday there would be a holy stump of Jesse that would someday, and the rest of Isaiah begins to develop this theme even more. And I think even though it was Isaiah who experienced all of those things, we need that as well, don't we? We need to see God's majesty. We need to see God's holiness. We need to see God's forgiveness. We need to receive God's cleansing. We need to go on God's mission. And that means we have political points of view, of course. That means that there are things which are right and are wrong. That means we have jobs that we do. But we all do it in the midst of this bigger story of the God who is holy and holy and holy. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now today, if you've not responded to that good news about the cleansing of God, please respond today. And if you have responded to that good news, the cleansing of God, please never forget that that's the big story. That's the big story. That's the true story. It's the story of the holy God who came to be one of us in a manger inside of Bethlehem and died a cruel death, a death of judgment, and sat under the judgment of God, God judging God, so that you and I could have our sin atone for. Live out that story, and your every other story will find its proper place. Let's have prayer as we close our time together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that in this story, we are able to, to have a vision for a bigger picture, because these are confusing times, you know, uh, for us, you know, in our families, in our personal lives, nationally, internationally. Oh, we desperately need your wisdom. We do thank you for this great country in which we live. 
where we have the privilege of being a part of our political process. And for the honor that that gives to us, we do pray for our leaders. We pray that you'll help them to seek you. We pray that you'll help our nation to come more in line with your principles. But even as we pray that, we never forget that you are a God bigger than any national government. And you have an agenda bigger than any political agenda. And you have done something more profound 2,000 years ago than can ever happen again. And we thank you for the cleansing which is ours in Jesus. Some of us perhaps want to receive that today. Help us to do that and trust you. Others of us need to be reminded of that big story. And we need to hear you asking us, who can I send? Who will go? And we need to say, I'm in. Wherever you want me, Lord, I'm in. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.